Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 255, 255, Friday, August the 19th, 2022. Hello Mark, I presume you're out there um, and things are working well on your end. It's always a bit of a challenge, isn't it, trying to coordinate our times to record, let alone getting the internets working, Um, but it seems to work most of the time, doesn't it? It is. We do manage almost all the time. There are some little glitches every once in a while, but by and large, we manage. I think we're very lucky, and we're very lucky with the software that we use, which seems to work flawlessly, and it knits it all together at the end of our recording session with it, with the little intro and outro and any other little bits and bobs we put in there, and it works ex- exceedingly well, which reminds me, vetgurus.com and have a think about becoming a Patreon or supporting us. That would be fantastic. Helps pay for things like our production costs. It would be wonderful if you could throw us a dollar or a cup of coffee equivalent for 255 episodes of continuing education. It's a bargain, Mark. It's an absolute bargain. An entertaining bargain. I'd sponsor myself if I could... (laughs) You actually do. (laughs) I do, I must admit. I'm the one who buys most of the Vet Guru gear from our Etsy store as well. So you can head over to etsy.com and search for Vet Gurus as the store and have a look at our products in the store there. Um, We'll have to update them with some newer newer trendy garments, Mark. Um, I'll have to to go through those again. Um, How are you otherwise, Mark? I'm great, Brendan. I'm great. I've got to tell you a quick story. With Kate and I have just been driving through um, southeast Queensland, coming um, over towards the east, over to the coast, um, and we had a camp last night at a place that had um, a breeding um, mar- uh, barn owls. I don't often get to see barn owls in the wild. I quite do. You ever get injured ones or? Um, captive ones to deal with. They're spectacular uh, looking animals. Yes, they are. It's been a while though. I can't remember the last time I had one in, but I've certainly seen them in the practice, but it would be well over a year, if not a couple of years. Well, my tip is um, that because uh, they're an eruptive species, they're one of those species that um, that breeds furiously when conditions are right and uh, builds up a significant population and then they tend to disperse and thin out afterwards and just my observations uh more broadly and then specifically of uh, of the pairs breeding um at the campsite we're at um uh makes me think that there's going to be a fair few of them around and uh a fair few uh when there's a fair few like that, they, they do tend to get injured and brought to veterinary hospitals. So I was thinking of that while I was looking at them last night. And and I was also contemplating the – I did take some photographs. I often take photographs of nocturnal birds, but I, I'm much less obtrusive um, where if I'm taking photographs in the day of birds, I might take – 
sometimes several thousand photographs stalk the birds around and and uh, try not to interfere with them, but take lots and lots. But because of the flash at night, I really restrict myself to four or five images. Um, and so it's always a bonus when I get a good shot of one before I um, give it away and let them be alone. So so I had a great time with the uh, the Eastern Barn Owl last night and um, got a pretty good image. So that's a plus. Excellent. You will have to forward it to me, Mark, um, so I can feel suitably jealous of your photo as usual. So, yes. Um, and it would be a little bit disturbing, wouldn't it? You're sitting there up in the tree and flash, flash, flash. Although perhaps they're just thinking it's a, there's a big storm coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's an interesting thing. It's a bit of a controversy amongst photographers because there are some people who, you know, take... Uh, um, you know, umbrage. intensive numbers of photos. And even um, there's a famous Australian series of photographs that are taken uh, by the, the photographer gets suspended up high in the eucalypts at a nest site and takes photos of the birds arriving and leaving the nest. And, and look, Arguments go back and forth about uh, how much disturbance that is to the birds and whether it has an effect on their feeding, their breeding success. Um, I, I, I reckon you're right. It, uh, um, so the photo I took, the bird was pretty relaxed and could obviously see me walking, blundering around in the dark with my red light on, um, and I got a focus. But... Um, I took three or four photos and the bird never put its, it was resting with one foot up in the air as they often do, particularly the young birds. And, um, and it didn't panic or put two feet down or fly off. It just, you know, and it was there after I had taken the photo. So I like to think it, it wasn't just staying there because it's stunned by the flashing light. I like to think that it wasn't too stressed about the whole episode. I'm sure you didn't stress it out, Mark. You're very, you're very careful with with looking after the the species you're trying to get a little picture of. So I'm I'm sure it would be fine. So speaking of climate change, Mark, <laughs> and ways to mitigate climate change, um, my first and well, we have a combined news story we're going to chat about as well is about trying to mitigate some of the effects of climate change. And there's one answer to that, and it's beavers, Mark. Beavers. Beavers <laughs> are the answer. <laughs> uh, it's a great little article at sciencenews.org about beavers that were relocated to a particular river in Washington State in the USA, and they found that these relocated beavers boosted the water storage and they lowered stream temperatures, which they indicated could be a scheme to help be an effective tool to mitigate some of the effects of climate change. We just need more beavers now. So basically what happened is, um, or what they discovered was, Beavers are known to mess around with obviously making dams, etc. And they found that they, well, 
I'd love to be. I'm just flicking through what this person called themselves. What did they call themselves, Mark? They a hydrologist or a high? I have to find it on there. Um, I've lost the the point where I was up to. Um, but the beavers built the dams, and the volume of surface water um, increased to about twenty times of that where there was no beaver activity, and because of that, below the ground wells at three sites showed that after the dam construction, the amount of groundwater grew to more than twice it was stored on the surface and stream temperatures, as a result, downstream of the dams, fell by an average of 2.3 degrees. And streams not subject to the beavers tinkering warmed by 0.8 of a degree. And these changes occurred within the first year of relocating them. Um, So they were quite happy with this little... Um, result mark so um, <laughs> having said all of that I'm pausing because I think um, I was going to tell you run, that, that yeah. Emily is an eco-hydrologist eco-hyd that's what I was looking for the yeah. eco-hydrant it would be good to have that on your little business yeah, card it's a, then, it'd be a good job hydrologist um, it's a good icebreaker for when you <laughs> um, wander up to the bar in a, in a pub, as you do, Mark, and uh, you're standing there on your own and somebody says, what do you do? Well, I'm an eco-hydrologist. Just... <laughs> and they walk off. <laughs> um, which, which, which um, I've got a question to you, Mark, um, which is related to that. Um, okay. Do you usually or always say to somebody, a random person that says to you after meeting them what is your occupation or what do you do um have you always said to them i'm a veterinarian straight away or not i've not always said that for a period of time after like i was a new graduate and then maybe about five years in um I, i got a bit intolerant of making you know making the announcement and then uh, being in questioned yeah. yes. oh my dog's got a lump my dog's got this um but i suppose as i've got you know another few years into my career i i began to rejoice in those questions and so i i stopped being a bus driver and a eco-hydrologist and, <laughs> and i returned to um my chosen profession but um but yeah what about you a little bit the same, yeah, and and it's still sort of depending on my mood and if I want to be left alone, um, I I may I've even gone to that which is a mistake um, of of my reply to the person, which I've done several times, would be, well, you've got three guesses, <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be surprised at some of the things that they would guess that um, my my job position was and um yeah it was a bit shocking some of the (laughs) (laughs) which i may not say on air but um yeah they're often um you know boring ones and and, or 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 sort of desk job type ones so maybe i've got a face like somebody who's been sat out of the sun and and looking a bit pasty all the time i don't know um but yes same as you mark and other times and then they'd say what they'd ask me what if I did say a vet, um, what what do you deal with? And then, you know, it's a secondary thought process of thinking, just say small animal practice or do I say, oh, I have an interest <laughs> in unusual pets and then you get a flurry of questions, you know, what's the, what's the what's most, the most unusual, unusual pet, pet you've ever, ever treated? Yes. 
etc cetera, etc cetera. so um which is probably the conversation that i don't mind having if i'm on a long haul flight and there's somebody who i'm not particularly worried about um, chatting to them for a while to pass a bit of time but yeah it's an interesting one isn't it uh, yeah eco-hydrologist so, is one that we'll we'll have to use in so. the future yes. but this article worries me brendan because it's another example of um you know the beavers make the world that way they shouldn't be used as a tool to to correct what we're doing to stuff up the planet. We should just fix the problem at its source and not make the planet hot. Yes, yeah. I'd, I think it's a bit of a fun story more than anything, isn't it, really? <laughs> as in it's a bit of clickbait. Um, clickbait. They've yeah. looked for the way they can make an interesting observation more relevant and make it more likely that people will click on it. Yes, that's right. So, in other words, I shouldn't I, have reported it. Is that I, what you're I saying? would never be caught doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got for us, mate? Okay, my story is um a little bit sh- uh, a little bit short and predictable. Um, it's a specific example of um of the benefits of snake venom. Now, being small animal practitioners and small animal practitioners who work with um. Uh, uh, snakes often, both of us are acutely aware of the potential damage that they can cause. But this article um, talks about uh, um, one of the benefits that can be drawn from snake, ben- uh, snake venom. Um, so researchers at the Australian Institute for Bioengineering and Nanotechnology at UQ have uh, found that a combination of chemicals from the venom of two different species of snakes are very effective at promoting clotting, which is sort of no big surprise if they, if they, you know, the one of the ways that the snakes, many snakes, uh, kill their prey with venom is to uh, interfere with the coagulation process, either induce uh, uh, premature clotting, intravascular um, thrombosis, or um, or to prevent clotting um, and allow. Uh, Frank Hemorrhage. Um, so it's not surprising that they were able to find this, but it is a little bit surprising that um, that um, I suppose that it looks like they'll be able to bring this to market, as it were, relatively quickly. The the uh, saw-scaled viper from Southeast Asia and the eastern brown snake from here in Australia, um, the various components of their venom have been mixed into a sticky film which covers a wound like gauze and is one of the, well, tests suggest it might be one of the best things for containing um, hemorrhage um, that, that can be done much, much better than the things that are going on at the moment. Uh, Research was funded by the um, U.S. Department for the Defense, uh, so it, it you know obviously has a, a, um, a, a the possibility of being a, a thing that would be used in wartime for soldiers with uh, uh, critical wounds. But it, yeah, there's lots of other circumstances. My surgery, for example, would be a circumstance where a powerful anticoagulant. Uh, um, agent might come to uh, play a role. So I can see it, um, first of all, helping people and then the gel. And there's even talk about using it um, to help burn patients. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it um, and particularly at this time when 
um, transfusions uh, sometimes are difficult because there might not be enough blood. Donors are required all the time. Um, this uh, definitely could be a good thing, Brendan. Yeah, it's very interesting article there, Mark, and a nice little pick there. Have an Easton Brown, I think, in the in the um, article. And we'll have a link to the articles at betgurus um, for this particular episode um, and another good um, another good uh, job topic um, description mark um, a venomologist wouldn't um, be as well I think you should just put down polymath for you mark on yours <laughs> because that's what you certainly are we, we do so, know a polymath between us we know several polymaths yes we do we do <laughs> um, okay and we got one final news article that you wanted us to shoehorn in here, Mark. It's quite an interesting one. So do you want to kick off with, I did, with I, thoughts I, of this one? In my social media, I saw the news of uh, Freya, the very popular um, Norwegian walrus. And probably everyone who's been on the internet has seen photographs of a walrus um, either sinking or very close to sinking a boat by resting on it. And, um, and that's been... Freya's shtick. Um, she's uh, um, started taking up residence in the popular uh, Norwegian resort of Katadengen um, in the Greater Oslo region, and um, and people are turning up to see her on a regular basis. She's strayed from Arctic waters, and um, and yeah, she's become quite the tourist attraction. Um, she was. <laughs> She was, because officials became concerned that she might attack people um, and they threatened that they would have to consider her humane euthanasia unless people kept their distance. Um, and people didn't keep their distance. So the authorities held firm with their their um, warnings and, um, and she was euthanized. Um, and the... the uh, the authorities said that we are concerned with the well-being of animals, but the lives and health of people must come first. Um, so, so yeah, decision was made quickly, and uh, and uh, and Freya was um, was quickly dispatched. Um, and now there's big big controversy in Norway um, between the people who think, oh yeah, um, fair enough, she was causing a bit of a problem and I couldn't get on my boat at the right time um, and those that thought more should have been done to try and um, and uh, and try and get her um, to move maybe and they're not horribly territorial so it's almost certain that she would have um, moved on um, so yeah I don't know yes and I think near the end of the article they do mention that the bathing season is almost over. Soon the rain will pour down and she would have very likely continued her wanderings. And one of the sad parts about it is this walrus had been followed by scientists for about two years, Mark, where it had been seen off the coasts of several countries. Um, and Eric, the biologist, probably summed it up pretty well, didn't he? It was so incredibly stupid. <laughs> um, we should have just started finding the people or, or just waiting a little bit. But, yeah, it's a bit of a sad story, isn't it? Um, so um, I didn't see any of that. Did you see any pictures of 
how big the crowds were and 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 the hassling of the of the animal or not? They they I did see some footage of people. It seemed to me it it seemed to be people more trying to get on their boat that she was on sneaking up and trying to poke it to scare her off and okay. um so so I do wonder. Anyway, it's sad, and I, like you, I think Eric was right. It's just stupid. Well, I think on that point we don't have much to discuss into our main topic this week, so let's just jump into it, Mark, and it's going to be a quick fire, five top or five what we think are, are good environmental enrichment protocols or, or things to do for rodents, Mark, for our, our rats and our Mice and our little guinea pigs as well, our pet um, rodents, Mark. Um, I think you suggested this topic, so um, let's rip into it. And I'm sure there's more than these five that we will be discussing here, but I think it's five very good ones that sometimes clients don't. I'm amazed at the fact that some clients don't think of at least several of these um, methods of helping our little rodents um, exercise their minds and, and feel comfortable and not quite as bored as they would be otherwise. So what have we got first, Mark? Brendan, just before we start, I was going to quickly point out that this is one area where there's um, a lot of published literature to because rodents provide uh, you know a, a significant bulk of the experimental animals that are used in laboratories around the world, and there is a lot of... Uh, research about the welfare of those um, experimental animals available. This is an area where um, this is not just a feel-good thing. There's a lot of hard evidence to show that um, that the that these rodents are much they they are much better off. Their quality of life is much better. Um, they uh, behave more normally. Um, they survive with. Uh, uh, healthier lifestyles and makes the um, experiment, experiments that they're involved in sounder. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think it's just interesting to note that there is, this is not just a feel good thing that you and I like to rave on about. Um, there is actually a, a, um, a scientific basis for this. And I think it's um, really important to think about the things we can do for our, our pet um, rodents so that they are, uh, they're not bored and they've got uh, challenging and stimulating environments. And the first thing I think that uh, it's important that we do um, is, is think about the substrates. Um, and I've, I really, um, you know, the, the key thing I think about the substrates is to have a variety of them and, um, and, and to really have some depth to them so there's they're they're not just underfoot they they represent a 3d environment for the rodents to work their way through i was lucky to have some uh some experience working with a captive collection of uh spinifex hopping mice one of our native rodents um and i know their health and well-being was uh, their reproductive activity was markedly increased when the the um their enclosures were were liberally provided with um, uh, uh, haze that the the, the uh, spinifex hoppers could burrow through, and yep. I think that's right for all those uh, all of our rodents. And it's yeah, so it's a combination of you know 
perhaps even vary in the substrate depth and and even within the in in one particular enclosure, but also the you know the texture um, and the type of substrate, and I suppose the you know not just the texture but the smells of that substrate as well, and and being careful to make sure it's a substrate that we know is not going to get them into trouble there, Mark. And I think the ones that we constantly talk about for rodents that, that are safe include those those recycled newspaper pellets work quite well but it's um, I, I often mention to my rodent owners to to go out in the backyard or to the local park and just get a variety of different tree branches and shrubs uh, uh, or branches with with leaves on them um, that have fallen and, and putting them in there as well so giving them lots of things to to look at to run over to to chew at to play with um, and sometimes you can almost use them as a almost like a bit of a mulch I suppose um, for that substrate there so yeah we don't want it to be that hospital cage do we um, that's that really boring sterile yes it's sterile but it's and it's clean but it's not a great environment for that animal to live in so substrate mark and um, that's number one um, deep substrate and the substrate type number two is what well, number two leads directly on from that. And you hinted at um, at bringing in branches to change that three dimensional uh, um, the the three dimensional structure of the environment and allow the animals to access a larger portion of the enclosure. Um, and I think uh, that that varying the the cage furniture on a regular basis you know when the cage is cleaned out every uh, few days moving the the cage furniture around um, adjusting the the shape and size of the hides um, those things uh, if if everything's the same never changes the the in the enclosures, the the hides in the enclosure, the everything remains the same. If it ever does have to be changed, um, then it's a huge stress all at once. Whereas if um, each time everything is changed and cleaned, um, there's some new textures and some new smells. Then the animals are more resilient um, and more uh, encouraged to explore those new different things. They don't suffer as much from neophobia. Um, so I think uh, hollow logs from outside, um, uh, um, uh, even uh, structures uh, that um, you know you might not initially think of as cage furniture for rodents, but uh, um, uh, bricks with holes in them, that sort of thing. As long as they're stable, they're not going to fall. As long as they provide additional texture and, and opportunity for the animals to explore, I think they all should be included in in the the uh, potential for enclosure furniture. Absolutely, and the other key factor to stress to the clients is that these items are not particularly expensive. In fact, some of them will be free as well. So once you sort of explain that to them, they think, "Wow, this is great! I'm going to get out there and." Um, actually do something about and provide some environmental enrichment for them. So number three, which follows on from that varying the cage furniture, is when you do do a clean of that enclosure, and we know that no matter how well you do the spot cleans in that rodent enclosure, you will get a build-up of, of, of um, contaminants and bacteria, etc. in there, no matter how well you do. Um, with that spot clean so you will need to do a full clean which might be every week or, or more often or, or less often is 
don't do a complete clean where you pull everything out, disinfect that whole enclosure and then start from scratch without keeping a little bit of the previous substrate or what I tend to recommend to the clients is they they love to make their little nests, the rats and the mice especially, and grabbing a little bit of the you know, tissue box or whatever that they've um, made a, a nest in and keeping that, um, taking that out of the enclosure, cleaning the enclosure and then once you've re-established the, the new substrate and, and put the furniture back in, put some of that product back in there that you removed before you did the clean so it still has their their smells um, on there so it's not stressing them out. So it feels like home, Mark. It is. You're exactly right. That uh olfactory environment is one that we want them to feel secure about and that familiar the sense that they have placed in the environment um, and like you said potentially if the the um, rats and mice have have made a nest then hanging on to that and putting it into a new box or whatever that um that is a huge additional security and uh and um comfort to those animals and they will adjust to the new environment much more easily when they have those familiar olfactory cues. So I think while we do encourage people to maintain very, very clean enclosures and remove wastes, um, we also think that um, hanging on to some of that bedding um, to refurnish the enclosure after it's been cleaned is a very, very sensible and comforting thing for the rodents. Yes, so our next number four, Mark, what is of our top five environmental enrichment for rodents is, and you can well, take I, this one. I like um, the concept of training them. I think that, uh, that um, one of the things about uh, left to their own devices in a very, very uh, um, conducive healthy environment um, where the food is plentiful and and the temperature is good water is good is that these animals can develop um, uh, problems with enough to do they're normally foraging you want to have some of the food hidden around in places so that they've got to look um, but Rats and mice are surprisingly intelligent and and providing them with jobs, giving them some specific things to do, um, is definitely uh, um, something that uh, they in all likelihood look forward to, um, they enjoy, and it gives them um, additional uh, effort at mental activity they they have to think about things and so um taking the time to find out what a motivating treat is and then to have some simple um uh, tricks that they might be trained to do definitely enhances uh, the the um levels of uh, neurotransmitters in their brain which we associate with a healthier outcome well said. Mark. What sort of things would you train your rodents to do, Brendan? I just, I just love. Well, it leads on to number five, I suppose. So um, I'm going to um, jump into number five, and that's training them to, or giving them the opportunity to explore. And and number five, as far as the environmental enrichment things we can do for them is is mazes, Mark. I, I love providing them, or, or recommending at least with. Making things, making it a maze, and it can be simple. And again, it may not cost anything at all because you could make a, a maze out of cardboard boxes and little tunnels out of toilet 
roll holders, etc. Um, if you want to get a little bit more fancy, it's still very cheap using the plastic sort of plumbing pipes and and um, making all sorts of fun ramps and things. And then you put a little treat at the end of it, Mark, so it, it's a reward to um, get to the end of the maze with them. Um, so so that's the sort of training that I'd be doing with them, Mark, um, rather than, I don't know, some people love doing things like training them to to although some of them will do it quite readily sit on a on a shoulder or you know I'd, i've lost count of how many clients have brought a a rodent in to the clinic and um it's down their jumper somewhere mark it's it, it's in it, it's 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 wandered down their top they put it on their little shoulder and it, and it heads down and um i asked them um nicely to try and extricate it for the examination then mark and it might take them five minutes and then it's wandered around their back <laughs> have you had that episode um uh, i i i um have many times had to draw the line at personal space um, issues, uh, you know, I'm not going to get your rodent out of that location. You'll have to have there yourself. <laughs> That's right. Yes, you just you just step back. Um, I literally take a step backwards and say, um, um, "Can you just please get Mr. Ratty out for us to have a little look at?" So, yeah, it's things like mazes and, and pipes and things like that that I prefer with the training. Um, have you had any? Any memorable sort of training um, techniques or, or thing, uh, um, things that um, clients have managed to get their little rodent to do, Mark, that you've found unusual? Or? Well, the only one that um, that really I've seen on a regular basis is that um, is that they can get you know the the um, the rodent to stay still so that we can uh, can perform a, a thorough physical exam. Most of the rodents I get to see are. Um, well, excited and hyperactive and hyper-stimulated by the trip to the vet. And um, and it can be very difficult to get some of that baseline data. So I'm always pleased when, um, you know, stay, don't move, play, lay on your back for a treat. Those tricks are uh, exceptionally useful for us as veterinarians. Yes. Well, I'll have to start recommending that to my clients, Mark. Stay, roll over, play dead. <laughs> Yeah. for them so yeah there's five quick little environmental enrichment tips um, for rodents and i'm sure most of the listeners will have thought of these but it's amazing how many clients don't think of providing these sorts of things that the substrate um, depth and, and variance um, varying that cage furniture and, and using things like natural hides keeping a little bit of that bedding when you do do a clean to, to lessen any stress on them, um, training techniques, and also don't be afraid of, of providing um, lots of mazes and um, areas to run around in. And I think that there used to be several websites, Mark, and I think a, a f at least one Facebook group, which was um, people that would post their mazes that they'd um produced um out of you know concocted from cardboard and etc um all sorts of um gear and they post them and um yeah they, they were very active little sites and i used to be uh, jumped on them i must have been um must not have had much of a life um for that month or so that i was jumping on their mark because um but they were quite interesting and fascinating and, and um very active groups so you could potentially do a bit of a a search and find those for some inspiration or appoint your clients to those as well. Um, any 
final comments, Matt, before we head off? One final comment is that um, I've got to say, Brendan, I'm not a big fan. And when we're doing this stuff, I'm not a big fan of um, of uh, um, the wheels. The yes, um, I try to discourage people from using those. I think they are, um, are particularly uh, prone to um, leading to stereotypical behaviour that the the animals tend to. Um, uh, get on them and and uh, overdo things when they're they're stressed. Um, so I tend to avoid those, even though the exercise is probably good. It's uh, it might not be as psychologically uh, healthy for them. So we tend to, like you said, um, lots of um, uh, toilet paper rolls. Get the relatives to collect those and <laughs> bring them to you in giant bags, so you've got enough to make decent mazes and um and it's surprising Uh, once you start down this path it is people do get um very excited and involved and it's no surprise that um there's a facebook page um celebrating the complexity of uh environmental enrichment and mazes for their rodents i think it's a good thing yes i agree totally with the wheels as well mark and i have had at least one rodent that's been brought into me with an injury mark that it um, accidentally slipped or it got caught in that little mechanism in between the where that little wheel and the the little carriage that that holds that rotating wheel mark. So yeah, they can also be a bit of a health hazard as well. So I think with that we'll get out of here and we've, I've got to get on my bike, Mark, and um, get back to work. And we'll talk to you all next week. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time